Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Friendship. Friendship. What do you, what do you think about that word or that phrase, friendship? Like, what, what comes to mind? Now, listen, it's how many people in your posse do you call friends? Is it maybe that one person, you, my friendship, it's that one person that you can tell anything to and not be judged? I mean, I'm thinking about friendship and, and listen, friends, I mean, seriously, friends are important. Who doesn't need a friend? It's been said that if a person finds one true friend in a lifetime, he's a rich man or a woman. Now, I want you to think about this when it comes to friendship. A friend is one who helps in time of need. A friend, guys, if we're being honest, a friend is someone who helps us in a time of need. It's someone that we can listen to, when we, someone who listens to us when we need to talk. He or she rejoices when we're honored, to be honest with you, and is sad when we're discouraged. A friend is someone who laughs when we laugh and cries when we cry. It was Thomas Fuller who once said, No man can be happy without a friend, nor be sure of his friend until he's unhappy. Unquote. A true friend is not a fair-weathered friend. You've heard of that. One of those that is gone here today, gone tomorrow. No, a true friend is a friend for life. He or she is someone who walks with us through life, thick and through thin, through stormy weather and disappointments, through times of disagreement and conflict. A true friend is a friend for life. So, in reading that description, what comes to mind when I say friendship? I know a lot of us go, well, I really don't have that friend, or, boy, I really wish I had that friend. But I think about friendship, and and I know you're looking at me like, Ben, why are you bringing this up? Well, the reason I'm bringing this up is because our text today, we actually see that Abraham is being a friend to the Lord. Being a friend to the Lord. You go, how so? Well, he's going to be a friend to the Lord through worship. He's going to be a friend through the Lord through serving. We're going to see that he's got the gift of hospitality. You see, John the baptizer, early on in John chapter 3, he said this. He said, the one who gets the bride is definition, the bridegroom, and the bridegroom is the bridegroom's friend is his best man. He goes, that's me. And the place at his side where he can hear every word and is genuinely happy. How could he be jealous when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? He says, that's why my cup is running over. Now, again, I tell you this because Abraham was considered a friend of God. But tonight, he's actually going to be a friend to God. Now, you might be thinking, why was Abraham called a friend of God. Well, it's interesting to know because James said about Abraham, the father of the faithful, he says in James chapter 2, verse 23, listen to this, the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteous. And then he goes on to say, and he was called the friend of God. That's what James says. Now notice how James draws the attention to the fact that Abraham was called God's friend. See, the term friend is something not just, hey, we, you know what we have. We have acquaintances, but, but, but there are those friends, and, and friends are more intimate. You guys know what I'm talking about? They're more, there's that, they're that conveys that sense of closeness, trust, and sharing. 
And what I found remarkable is that Abraham is termed, right, the friend of God, this great, amazing, wonderful, power, ever-present God, knowing God was the one who actually made the statement. You go, what do you mean? I want you to catch this, okay? Because God actually says he's a friend, that Abraham was a friend of God. Now, this was not Abraham's assessment. You guys know that. You guys know how we are. I'm God's friend, right? right? We can make that assessment, but it was God who actually said, you know, Abraham, I am a friend of Abraham's. And I thought, that's amazing. And, and again, it was just, it was, it, was Ab- it was not Abraham's assessment of this relationship with God, nor how he thought about God. It was a statement that God made about Abraham. Actually, James, guess what he was doing? He was actually quoting Isaiah 41 in verse 8. He says, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, and the offspring of Abraham, he says, my friend, my friend. Think about it for just a moment, right? The children of Israel weren't really God's friends. They were his servants, and they were the offspring of Abraham, who was God's friend. Now consider for a moment how remarkable these words are and what a remarkable relationship they deserve. Friendship. Now, what does the Bible say about you and I in friendship? Well, there's just a couple of things. We don't have time to go into it. But in, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24a, it says, A man who has friends must be himself friendly. That is key. If you want to have friends, I mean, real friends. Now, again, I'm not talking about acquaintances because we all have acquaintances. We all have those that we work with. High five. How's it going? I get to see you. I don't see you. I'm talking about a real friend. The Bible tells us that in order to have friends, we must be ourselves be friendly. We should be friendly. Okay? He also tells us in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, he who walks with the wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. In other words, we got to be careful who our friends are. Because again, I mean, think about it. If you walk with the wise, you'll be wise. Now, one of the things I've learned in my walk, guys, with the Lord after so many years is I realize that I need to walk in humility because I don't know it all. There are a lot of things that I've learned through leadership and, and management and training, but really the bottom line is here's, here's what's going to be, here's what's going to make this church successful. You ready? That your pastor surrounds himself with people who are smarter and wiser than he is. Those are the guys I want to surround myself with. Those are the guys that I'm saying, okay. And that's again, that's, think about it. That's exactly what the Proverbs is saying. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. So we talk about friendship. With that as an intro, guys, let's take a quick look at what's happening with Abraham. Now, we learned that most people only retain, Joe, 10% of the teaching. That's why I always go back and remind you what we talked about last week. So last week we learned there are times in our lives, guys, listen, when God is silent. You get that, right? If you recall our text, here's what we need to understand. The Bible says that Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born, 86 years old. Now, here's what I find comforting. You guys ready? This is going to be good for you. Why? 86 years old, and Abraham was still making mistakes. I kind of find that really comforting. Why? Because sometimes we think we outgrow our mistakes. Sometimes we think, well, you know, he's 86, and he's still making mistakes. I'm like, okay, okay, so, well, what happened? Remember what happened, guys. God had promised Abraham, right, and Sarah they were going to have a child. He was called the child of promise. Abraham, this is, this is the promise, man. It's you. Your child is going to come from your own body. Well, we guys know what happened, right? Sarah says, oh, I don't know if God is really talking to me. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to help God out. Ever been there? 
Ever been where we feel like we need to help God out? How many times in our lives, guys, do we feel like we say, listen, God, I don't know if you see it from my perspective, but if you just do this, this, and this, everything would be cool. It'd be good. That's what Sarah's doing, right? And we can relate to Sarah because that's what we do too. We want to help God out. We think we know better, and it's really hard for us humans to step back and let God be in control because we always want to be in control. Well, what does Sarah do? Well, guys, look at this. Look at the text, right? Sarah's like, um... I got an idea. I've got a great idea. What does she do? She says, let me give my husband to Hagar. How is that a good idea? That's never going to fly in anyone's house. There's not a wife around that says, well, honey, you can just go with the neighbor. You know, I mean, have a child. That's not going to happen, but that's not a good idea. But I know she's trying to help God out. And what happens is that Hagar, guess what? She gets pregnant, right? Only to have drama hit the Abraham tribe. It's just drama all over the place. And she goes, man, what's going on? What's going on? And we see all of that happening, bad choices. Abraham's 86, gets pregnant with a fellow by the name of Ishmael. And then notice in chapter 17, verse 1, it tells us, and when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Here's my point. My point is from 86 to 99 was 13 years. 13 years. We would call him 13 years of silence. But here's the thing, guys. 13 years of silence, you've got to read what the text says. Be very, very careful because the Bible doesn't say that God was silent. All we know is from chapter 17, 16 to 17, there was nothing recorded. Okay? All we know is that 13 years have happened since chapter 16, 16 to 17, 1. But let's assume for the sake of our study that God was silent in the life of Abraham, that Abraham had made a mistake. He listened to Sarah. And I'm not telling us that men should not heed our wives. We should listen to our wives, right? They're there to be a helpmate, to help us grow in our walks with God. Women, listen, if you're here and you're married today, this is your job. Your job is to be a helpmate, to push him to the Lord, not push him, but continually lift him up to the Lord. We're going to make our share of mistakes, but as a helpmate, you don't want to pull him down You want to push him up to the throne room. Let him be the spiritual leader. You know more. You probably biblically know more, but when he comes and he's like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. And then then that's another thing. When he comes excited about the word of God, don't go, yeah, I knew that. Boy, we learned that in fourth grade. Just be, wow, honey, that's amazing. Good job. You know, because that's what we need. We need to be pushed. We need to be pushed. And, and so again, we just say, well, what happened? Well, we don't know. We don't know. It's just, what if it was? Let's assume that God was silent in the life of Abraham. Here we learned that there might be some reasons. You ready? Jot this down. God's silence can create a hunger in obedience to him. God's silence. You go, God, I can't hear you. Oftentimes, what it'll do, it can create a hunger for our obedience to him. That's the first thing. Number two, guys, think about this. God's silence can sometimes create a hunger for his presence in our lives. Everybody with me? You got to get an amen. Okay? So when you go, man, pastor, I'm not hearing God. I'm just not hearing his voice. Here's what we need to understand. Let's remember. Let's, let's think about Old Testament and New Testament. Let's think about Old Testament and where we are today. Abraham didn't have the word of God. Abraham didn't have the Bible. 
He's counting on God, walking with him, listening. He's penning these. You and I, even though we feel like God is silent, is he really silent, church? Why? Because we have God's word. Now, there are times when we go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm not, it's not speaking to me. I feel like it's just black letters on a white page, and I'm just, you know what? I'm just not getting it. It's just not, ah. Oh. You ever been there? You ever feel like it's like, there it is, but it's not. We still have God's word. And it might be just for you that there, it might be just, it's just God creating. It's just God creating you just more of obedience. And you say, Pastor, I want to, I want to, I, yeah, that's exactly it. I want to be more obedient to God. Why? Because you look in the context and you got to remember that Abraham wasn't obedient. Abraham was not acting like the spiritual, the spiritual, uh, the head of the, of the family. He wasn't acting like that. Or maybe it's just that he wants you to have a greater presence for his word or for him, a presence in your life. You go, Pastor, okay, okay. So what did we learn? Well, last week we learned that this is how we do hear from God. You ready? We heard in creation. Creation itself, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And tonight's going to be a great night. I want you to go out after church. I want you to see the stars and I want you to just listen for him. How wonderful and amazing he is. If you have to go to work at the early morning, you can see the sunrise and say, God, how wonderful you are. It's almost like the Lord's looking at you and going, I've never left you. I've been right here the whole time. I'm right here. Or the sunset, whatever it might be. See, in creation, he speaks to us. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you saw a great cloud? No, I mean a really cool cloud. You're like, God, you make great clouds. Thank you. Thank you. My wife and God, they have a, they have a special relationship. She believes that God makes big white puffy clouds specifically for her. Big white puffy clouds. Don't ask me how she goes. That one's mine. That one's for me. Look, God just, that's for me. That's for me. And she goes, oh, I could just picture taking a nap on that cloud. And I'm like, it's a cloud. No, no, no. See the relationship. The relationship, guys. When was the last time? So God speaks through her in creation. What's another way? Listen to me. Jot this down. Write it in your notes. In preaching. How many times am I up here saying, if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, that doesn't mean if you're taking notes. I'm saying take notes. Why? Because, guys, he has certain things he wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you, and you circle and highlight. And the reason why is because one day you're going to go back, and you'll be looking through your Bible, and you go, oh, I needed that today. I needed that. That was for me. And it may not be anything I said, but it might be God beginning to speak to you through his word. And so it's through the preaching and, and again, taking notes. And, and we have to be so careful. Make sure your study time, guys, make sure your study time isn't just that. We're just studying. But the third way God speaks to us is in his word, sitting at the feet of Jesus and letting the word speak to us. If we can be real for just a moment, guys, that's exactly what we need to do. How many times have I missed just sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening? Can we shoot straight? We get up in the morning and we rush, 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 don't we? And we just rush. And even if you do spend some quiet, listen, I'm going to have some quiet time. I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. Let's be honest. That's hard. You go, why? Because we're always thinking what I've got to do today. 
You're like, okay, God, I'm going to listen to you. Oh, I forgot to send that email out. Okay, no biggie. Oh, uh, I've got a hmm. And, and there's so much, guys, that but it's so important that we, we listen to God's word. We study and we let it and we're at the feet of Jesus. You guys know the story. I don't have to bring it up, but Mary and Martha. You remember Mary and Martha? Martha was so busy serving. There's nothing wrong with serving, but where was Mary? Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and she was soaking in. Both, both are needed, guys. We both need to serve, but there are times when we need to just sit and we need to hear who Jesus is. And then we learned, guys, as we go in, we saw the seven I wills of God towards Abraham. He tells him, I will make you an exceedingly fruitful, lots of offspring. Number two, I will make you nations of you, right? Not just from Ishmael. Remember, Ishmael's going to be, he's going to go off and get seven princes and he's going to have the whole Arab countries. I mean, all the Arabs today are from Ishmael, okay? But Isaac, okay? So you have Isaac. So, so Abraham didn't have any kids, is going to basically, again, think about it, guys. He is going to make a nations of you. He says, I will make kings come from you. The godly line of David is going to come forth. I will establish a God covenant with Abraham. Number five, I will establish God's covenant with your descendants. Then he says this, I will give you this land. Their land is, that's their land, right? But here's the promise. It's, he talks about an everlasting possession. And you go, Pastor, what does that mean? That means it was a type of heaven, guys, for us, a better country. We're going to look at that just a little bit later on today. And then he says, I will be their God. I will be forever their God. Those were the seven I wills. Now, I do want to point out one more thing before we jump into our text. God explained to Abraham that he and Sarah were going to have a child, right? I want you to note the reaction. Look at verse 17 of chapter 17. It says, And Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to us, who is a, to a man who's a hundred, and Sarah, who's ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might ever live before you. Do you everybody see that? Okay, so God promised him a son. Okay, God promises him a son, and he goes, I'm 99. Look at Sarah. She's 90. Wow. He's almost like saying, thank you, God. And then he says something I find very interesting. Look what he says. He says, oh, that Ishmael, how old is Ishmael? 13. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Now, here's what I want to point out, guys. Here's what's real important, okay? Abraham, right here, listen, and this is what we do, and this is why I want to pull it out. Abraham is wanting to settle for less than all that God had for him. God says, man, you, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have, listen to, listen to the covenant, listen to the I wills. I'm going to make you a great nation. Yes, Lord. I'm going to make you, kings are going to come from you, man. Yes, Lord. Uh, this, this is all, this is going to be amazing. And when he does, he goes, oh, long live Ishmael. And it's like, no, I never said anything about Ishmael. And here's what we see. We see, guys, we see that Abraham, our father in the faith, is wanting to settle for less than all that God has for him. Uh, think about this, guys. Think about the New Testament, right? 
What story in the New Testament comes to mind? Well, one of them came to mind is actually found in Luke 15. We know it as the prodigal son. You guys remember the prodigal son? There were two brothers, okay? One was older, one was younger. And the younger, you guys know the story, he went out and he just... Man, he got himself in a mess. He thought, Dad, I want all that, all that the, the world has. And the bottom line is he had settled for less than all that God had for him until one day he woke up and he said, what am I doing? The Bible says that he came to himself. He says, my, 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 my father's servants are eating better than me. Look, I'm trying to eat what the pigs are eating. I'm trying to eat these carapods. They're making my stomach sick. This is gross. And so he says, I need to go back. I need to go back. So Abraham, what did he do? He settled for less. Guys, we need to take a quick look at our lives. Are we, are we settling for less than God's best for us? And we always do that based upon our past, based upon what we did and didn't do. Oh, well, that's how God is. Uh, okay. But God has so much more for us. Guys, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, you belong to him. You are a child of God. Don't settle for anything less. Well, Abraham, what does he do? He obeys God. Look at verse 23. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were brought with his money, and every male among the men of Abraham's house, he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very same day. And God said to him, Abraham was 99 years old, and he circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael was the son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael. And all the men of the house, born in the house or bought with money, from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Here's what God said. God says, listen, I'm going to make a covenant with you. You need to be circumcised so you can identify with Israel. Do you guys remember that last week? Identification. But here's what I want to make a note. I'm going to make a quick note, okay? The purpose was for Israel to be identified, right? This he says, this is, this is the family of Israel. This is God's family. This was not necessarily, it's not necessarily for us today, because the New Testament explains it a different way. You go, how so? Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in chapter 7, verse 19, says this, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So he's saying, listen, it's not about you. Because here's what a lot of people do. A lot of people go, well, I'm circumcised, right? So I guess I'm in heaven. That's what the Jews were thinking. That's an automatic right. No, it was a sign, remember, not a right to heaven, and so what Paul says, he comes in, he goes, listen, that doesn't matter. Here's what really matters. He says, he says, keeping the commandments, obeying is what really matters. Doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. But then Paul, in writing to the Romans, says this, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision in Romans chapter 2, verse 25, has value, he says, it has value if you obey God's law. But if you do not obey God's law, you are no better than the uncircumcised Gentile. Now remember, He's writing to the Jewish people. If the Gentiles obey God's law, wouldn't, he says, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep the law will, will condemn you, Jews who are circumcised that possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or become or you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. 
He says, no, a true Jew is the one whose heart is right with God. True circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. The person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not people. So what Paul is telling us, guys, is this. You ready? Make sure your heart is circumcised so that the Holy Spirit is inside you. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, it's all about obedience. And I wanted to bring that up real quick because we, we kind of went over it. So Abraham obeys. He says, okay, Ishmael. Abraham's 99 when he does it. And I'm telling you, this was not a fun thing to do. I mean, this was not a fun thing to do. It's not a fun thing for an 8-year-old baby. Can you imagine a 99-year-old and a 13-year-old? Son, come here. You got a knife, right? I was like, uh, mm-mm. But he does it. I love the obedience. Now, the story changes. That's where we pick up our story. Look at verse 1. Okay, Abraham, his communion with Jesus. Look at verse 1 of chapter 18. That's where we are today. The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees in Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door of the heat of the day. Okay, notice what it says, guys. This is so important. It says the Lord appeared. Okay, so three men apparently appeared with Jesus being in the middle. This is known as a Christophany or Theophany. This is Jesus. He's with two other angels. And what it says is that all of a sudden, there's Abraham. He's sitting by the door of the tent, okay? And boom, there's these three people, right? Three people. It says, one of them's the Lord, okay? They're going to come back to us, guys. We're going to see them in chapter 19. But it says that Abram is in Mamre, which means the fatness. And what he's doing is he's enjoying the fullness of God's blessing. And what's he doing? Well, I want you to know, Abraham is sitting by the tent door. Now, I started to think about tents. Abraham didn't live in a house. He lived in a tent. And he's sitting by the tent door. Now, again, I, was thinking, I thought, man, this is just like, this is like super cool. Why? Because tent life always speaks of being a pilgrim. Tent life, always, it, it doesn't mean that you have a, you're not set permanent. You're in a tent. All right, the Lord tells us to move. We're going to pick up our tent, and we're going to move. I thought this was cool. Why? Because according to Charles Ryrie, he states that Abraham's journey consisted of tents and altars. That's all it was. It was a tent and an altar, a tent and an altar. And oftentimes, you guys know this, Paul speaks of our bodies as a tent, right? He says this tent, this earthly vessel. And I started to think about this. I was like, Paul speaks of this. What does that mean? Well, I started to think, and I said, well, you know what? This tent is simply an indication of our pilgrim life here on earth. In other words, be careful not to set your tent pegs so deep that you forget you're just passing through. Your real home is in heaven. And that's what we got to see. See, Abraham, he's just moving through the, the promised land, but the real home is in heaven. And sometimes you and I, we hold on so tight to what's going on here on earth that we forget, oh, I'm just passing through. I'm just, I'm just passing through. Because our real home is in heaven. That's so important. But he's also said tents, okay, tents and altars. What is altars all about? Well, whenever we see an altar, what's an altar for? It's a place of worship, is it not? So if he's about tents and altars as a place of worship, what does that speak of? Well, where does worship come from? Worship comes from our heart. And I started to think about this, and I started to think, wow, listen to this. Listen to what our heart is. When we truly worship, where does it come from? 
wherever your heart is, that's what you're going to truly worship. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, here's the thing. There are some really good things in our lives. There are some really there, there are some things in our life that are really good things. But we need to be careful that they're never to be worshipped. You guys tracking with me? There's some really good things. And the problem is that sometimes the line is kind of blurred, and then we begin to worship those really good things. You go, what do you mean? Well, here, here's the way Paul, Paul gives us some insight into this, okay? He says, I know how you guys kind of are, and he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, he says this, for since the creation of the world, of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. But because they knew God, they did not glorify God, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice what he says. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, the birds, the four-footed animals, and the creeping things. And you go, Pastor, I'm not sure what, what, what Paul just said here. Here's what he says that you and I sometimes do. We reverse the creative order. We start to worship his creation versus the creator. Now, here's the purpose why God gives us good things. God gives us really good things not to be worshipped, but that he would be worshipped because of those good things. We have to be so careful. Because sometimes we can worship really, really good things instead of going, God, thank you for these wonderful things. Thank you, Lord. You are so great. And they can be anything from how God gives us children to a steak. If you like a really good steak, we are not supposed to worship steak. You know what we're supposed to do? Lord, thank you that you provided this. This is so good. Thank you, Lord. You're so amazing that you gave me taste buds. This is really good. But we're not worshiping the steak, are we? But we do that with a lot of things. And they're good things. They're good things. And, and Paul says, don't be careful. Don't reverse the creative order. Guys, when we begin worshiping good things over God, it's never good. It's never good. We must always worship God for those things, and they must never take the place of God in our hearts. You know where we, where we fall in a, a lot of places in that, guys? In our relationship with our spouse. We love our spouse. We love them. But they should never take the place of God. Man, we say, you know what? I love you, but I love God more, and I want to worship God. I thank God for you. I praise God for you. But very easily, it can shift. And so many couples, instead of honoring God, they'll honor each other and leave God out. Oh, baby, it's whatever you want to do. No. No, I, I want God in my life. So Abraham, where is he? He's sitting by where? The tent door. Now the Bible tells us it's the heat of the day. And I want you to jot this down. It's hot. It's hot. But Abraham's tent and the heat of the day, listen to me, doesn't stop him from being hospitable. Right? 
I started to think about this in my office today, and I started to think, could we imagine if, if Abraham was just like, Phew. I mean, you, listen, every time we go to Israel, it's, always, it's pretty much winter there. I don't know what it's like, but I could imagine it's pretty hot in the summer, especially out in the desert, because there is about a 20-degree difference from being out in the Judean desert and Jerusalem. It's cold in Jerusalem. But if you go out there to where Masada is and that, it's really, really warm. In February... Can you imagine here? It's probably 110, 115. It's really, really hot. And the Bible says that it doesn't stop him from being hospitable. But I was thinking, can you imagine him going, man, it's just too hot to get up. He sees, he sees these three people appear and he's like, man, it's just too hot to fix y'all something to eat. I'm just going to sit right here. Whoo, right? He doesn't do that. Why? I want to learn from Abraham. I want you to jot this down. Service is something we do from our heart. It's not based on circumstances. Service is something that's in here. It's not, it's not based on if it's too hot or it's too cold or if it's convenient or not convenient. When you serve the Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. Anyone? Amen? I love verse 2. It goes on and it says, So Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing there. Now that would freak me out anyway, wouldn't it? You? <laughs> You're just like, uh, I didn't see y'all walking up. Ugh. And he saw them and he ran. Notice, he ran from the tent door to meet them. He bowed down himself to the ground. Everybody say, bowed down. Why is that important? And he said, my Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass from your servant. This is so cool. Why? Because in the heat of the day, guys, Abraham actually runs to meet them. I love that, right? He comes out and he bows down. Now, I want you to circle that word in your Bible. Why? Because it's the, it's the Hebrew word shakah, and it actually means worship. He worshiped. It's the first time it's ever used in Scripture, and that's what he's doing. He's coming, and he's running. He sees them, and he's starting to worship. And it's like, wow, he bowed down. And so then Abraham says, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on your Servant, I think, guys, check this out. I think this is a great principle to learn. You go, what's that, Pastor? Worship should always precede request to God. You, you, you with me? Now, 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 listen. Okay, here we go. Dun, 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 dun. Let's look at our prayer life, right? There are times I get in my, all right, I'm going to pray, Lord Jesus, and, and we start to pray. And I'm thinking, man, he just gave us a principle. What did he do? Worship should always start before we actually get into our request to God. We're not taught that, are we? Hey, you need to pray, sister? Just start asking God for stuff. And that's what we do, Lord. And it may not even be bad stuff. We pray for so-and-so who's sick, and the Lord, I ask for this, and I ask for that. But I'm thinking Abraham said, instead of running and going, Lord, stay at my house, everything's cool, please. We know what he does. He goes, I'm going to worship you. He bows down. And I thought, what a great principle. What a great principle. Worship, guys, now listen to me. Worship always precedes request to God. And I want to I bring this out because if you can see it, you can kind of see where I'm going. A lot of times we'll worship God before we ask Him, but in a way to butter Him up. God, I lift my hands, I praise You, and we'll worship Him in whatever way, right? And we're just hoping that God, we just buttered Him up, and then we'll, give, we'll go in for the kill. 
Right? That's not what he's doing, guys. That's not what he's doing. We worship because we respect who God is. Let me just say this. Worship should always go before prayer if possible. Pastor, prayer is worship, is it not? It is. But let us acknowledge first before we request. Before we request. I love that. He comes and bows down. Now, Abraham's being hospitable, right? He has the gift of hospitality. Why? The friendly, generous reception. He's entertaining of guests, visitors, and strangers. Notice what he says in verse 4. Please let a little water be brought to wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Okay? It's hot. This is shade. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, quote, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender and good calf, gave it to the young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Everybody see that? They ate. This is so cool. Why? Because this is a pre-incarnate Jesus, and he's eaten. I can't wait till I get my glorified body, and I'll be able to eat too. No calories. Pretty cool, right? Because we think we're just going to be these spirits in heaven just going, oh, and we're playing harps, and we're singing next to each other for, for no. And we're going we're gonna to have these awesome bodies, right? I've already put in my request. It's a little bit different than the body I have now. Okay, a little bit taller, a lot thinner, better looking. But anyways, that's what we get to eat. But think about it. Here's, here's just great hospitality. You go, what do you mean? In the heat of the day, Abraham seeks to welcome their guests. And what's the first thing you do? He says, man, come on in. And he washes the feet of strangers. He washes them. He knows you're hot. And what does he do? Then he gives them what? He gives them bread to refresh their hearts. See, bread is baked daily, guys, no more than the required, right, required for the family. So what they would do is they would break, make the bread, but that's only enough. Why? Because here's what you had to do. You had to roll it into cakes. They would place it on the earthen floor that was previously heated by fire, fire being removed, and the cakes would be laid on the ground and being covered with that hot embers and soon bake and eaten once they taken off. Now you go, Pastor, that's cool bread. It's hot. Who wants to turn on the oven? That's how we are, right? In the middle of the day, even well, we have air conditioner, so we're all spoiled. But can you imagine? No air conditioning. It's 110 degrees in your house. You walk from your chair to the kitchen and you sweat. And your husband walks in and says, baby, can you turn on the oven to make something? Excuse me. Do you guys see that? That's what's going on. But... But he's serving. He's got the gift of hospitality. He's already, and he says, now, he says, we need more. So he goes and he prepares a young calf for dinner, supper, whatever it is. And here's what we need to realize. Animal food is never provided except for visitors of superior rank. So he's like, oh, this is more than just bread people, right? This is more than bread people.
And so he says, this is how we're going to do it. Hasten, hurry, let's feed them. And then the Bible tells us this, guys, check it out. So he took butter and milk, right, and the calf. Now, if you have studied the Bible any length of time, guess what you're thinking? Nathalie, you can't have meat with milk, right? That's, that's, that's the Jewish, that's how they are. They're very kosher that way. But what we need to remember is, number one, you can jot this down, okay? You go, what is that? You can jot this down. This is actually camel's milk, right? And the second thing we need to realize is not only is it camel's milk, but the law hadn't been given yet. This is way back in Genesis 18. So he's going, boom, there it is. There it is. So you go, oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. So you got butter, you got camel's milk, and now he's getting ready to what? Just have a great time with his friends. I jotted this down, guys. Remember, hospitality is not dependent upon our house, but upon our hearts. Hospitality is not dependent upon our house, but upon our hearts. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's very hard to entertain guests unless you think your house needs to be super perfect, clean. It's hard. People come over. Oh, you know, house is a mess. There are people, come on in. The house is trashed for whatever reason because you have little ones. You know what I'm talking about? But you've got the gift of hospitality. Do you, you want to put on some coffee? Let's visit. Let's say, I'm so glad you're here. Come here. Oh, we got to have that gift because that's what Abraham does. Abraham says, oh, because it's not dependent upon the house. It's, a, it's dependent upon our hearts. As a matter of fact, Hebrews gives us a warning. You guys remember this one? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, you may have unwittingly entertained angels. Anybody in here ever entertain an angel? You're like, I don't know. I know. How cool is that, right? You just, the Lord knocks on your heart and says, hey, Ryan, I want you to pay for that guy's meal. Lord, I'm just, I'm just going to get my burger and try to get out. No, I want you to, and you feel it so well that you do that. Yes, sir, Lord. I, and you might, I mean, who, who knows? Who knows? So, note with me, verses 9 and 10. Here's God's promise. Then they said to him, okay, so here, here's, here's Jesus, right? Pre-incarnate Jesus with two angels. Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the, the, the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. So what's he saying? Guys, if you're taking note, so this time next year, he's saying, y'all are going to have a son. Y'all are going to have a son, right? And Sarah's listening to the conversation, okay? She's wondering who her husband's entertaining. And I want you to note her reaction. And I want you to compare it to your reaction when God gives you a promise. Okay? So we're going to note it, and then let's compare it. Look at her. Now, in verse 11, it says, So Abram and Sarah were old, old, well-advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbirthing. Now, again, the writer seems to put that in there. Let me just give you a quick deal on that. The term old, well-advanced in age, it actually means almost dead. That's what it really means. No kidding. That's what it means. 
right? And, and it's not like, well, you're almost dead. No, they were so old. I mean, they were pr- approaching. They were just, it was like, listen, there's, there's not a whole lot of life left in him. He's 99, she's 90. There's not, a, I mean, and so, and so the writer says, hey, by the way, Abraham and Sarah, they're about dead. As a matter of fact, listen, she is way past the age of childbearing. Therefore, verse 12, note the reaction. Sarah laughed within herself, saying, quote, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? Also. Sarah knew she couldn't have kids naturally, so it would have to be something supernatural. And isn't that how it works in our lives? There are a lot of things that we will... We'll, we'll just determine that God can or cannot do naturally, and we forget that he's a supernatural God. And we have to stand on that promise. But I want you to note reaction. Her reaction is she laughed within herself. Okay? Now, the laugh in our text indicates, you got to jot this down, doubt and unbelief. Abraham, in chapter 17, he laughed, but he laughed because God's crazy. I'm old. Are you serious? It wasn't a doubt and it wasn't unbelief. It was just like, <laughs> wow. But her laugh in her heart was like, Mm-mm. I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't. Right? And that's what it means. And that's what it means. Guys, let me, let me ask you a question. Is unbelief sin? Is unbelief sin? See, Sarah didn't believe. Sarah didn't believe. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look up First John chapter five, nine through twelve. I want you to look that up later. Go ahead and look it up later for homework, because I want you to see what John says about unbelief. I don't. I can't for the sake of time, because we're running out. But notice, it says verse thirteen. And the Lord said to Abraham, check this out. Why did Sarah laugh, saying, surely shall I bear a child since I'm old? I want to point out something very interesting here, guys. I want, to, I, want to, I want you to see this. Men, men, Sarah laughed in doubt. Can I get an amen? You see that, right? You see that. Notice, God deals with Abraham as the head of the household. Whoo, that gave me chills. Right? Because I'd be like, Lord, she said it. What's up? You know? <laughs> Stand over here. But, but, but I'm thinking, it's like, look, Sarah laughed, and the Lord said to Abraham, why? Here's why. Listen. Listen, men. And, and here's what I put in my notes exactly. We must learn. Learn is the key word. To be strong spiritual leaders of our homes. We must learn that. I'm not saying fight with your wife, and I'm not saying, I'm saying we have to learn that why, because God's going to ask us to give an account for our homes. Yes, yes, we're all individuals. And Gio and Lori, they're sitting right here. They're individuals. Gio is, is a person, and Lori's a person, and they have a walk with God. But here's the thing. Gio is the head of his household, and God's going to ask him, how did you govern your house? But Lord, it was Lori. Lori was, she drove me crazy. No, 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 no. I didn't ask what Lori's doing. I said, how did you, how did you with your boys? How did you? 
man, I need to learn. I need to learn to be a strong spiritual leader in my house. I need to be able to tell my wife in, in, in a biblical and godly way, hey, no, I don't think this is the path we should go down. And, and guys, here's the problem. Our wives, man, our wives are spiritually strong and they, they're, they can do it. They can lead the family. That's, that's not what they're called to do, are they? It's our job. And that's why you have to be here Saturday for the men's group. No, I'm just kidding. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. And then verse 14, it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Joe, what's the answer to that? Nothing. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You're 99 years old, Abraham. You're 90. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. Guys, I think that should be our mantra. Is there anything? We should, we should be asking ourselves that all the time. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard? But look at Sarah, bless her heart. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid I would be too. And God said, no, but she did laugh. But she did laugh. Let me ask you a question here on this verse. We're going to get ready to close here in just a moment. Let me ask you a question, okay? Did Sarah lie? Sarah lie? She did, didn't she? She laughed in her heart, and, and then she's like, I didn't laugh. And, and I mean, she has a good reason, but here's what God does. He says, no, you did laugh. He calls her out, guys. And, and what I love about the Scripture is he does the same to me. He does the same to every one of us if we'll listen. No, no. Here's what I wrote down. At this point, Sarah should have just said sorry and repented. Now, why do I say repent? Because a lot of times we're sorrowful when we, when we say something or we hurt somebody, but, but we need to repent. She needed to say, I am so sorry. Lord, I doubted you. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm 90 years old. If I was going to have children, I should have had it when I was 20 or 30, Lord, even 40, but I'm 90. Well, is anything too hard for the Lord? Lord, there's nothing too hard for you, but in my mind, I'm about dead. And it might have even been that scripture we learned in the, in the New Testament, right? Lord, help my belief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, she believed, but there was something inside her that said, no, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. So as we close, as we close, Next week, we're going to tackle Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham. Okay? I love that the friend of the Lord says, he says this, right? He says, should we let Abraham know what we're doing? And we're going to see that next week, guys. But our takeaway tonight, I want to share with you. Be, be a good friend. Be a good friend. Be friendly. Show hospitality. Break bread with each other. 
break bread with each other. Guys, no, no wrong motives other than we want to share the love of Christ. Spend time with God so that your life reflects that onto others in this world. Spend time with God. Let Him pour in you and through you and so people can see His wonderful, amazing life. That's our takeaway. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word today. We love you. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.